Good, e- good evening. Are we up yet? Let me see if I... Come on. I'm thankful to be here and glad that you have chosen to be here tonight. We have had a blessed day and uh, so thankful for our, our We Are the Sermon Day. I know that there was a lot of good that was done and, and there will be a video hopefully at the end of our services tonight that will show and you'll get to see some of the work that was done today. I'm thankful for all those who participated in that we got a little bit of break in the rain so that a lot of good could be done this afternoon. If you will, let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight so very thankful for you and your love and your kindness. And Lord, we pray that you will bless us tonight as we open your word. Lord, you tell us that your word will not return to you void, so we pray that tonight your word will fill us to the point of overflowing and that our lives begin to resemble your son more and more and more. Lord, help us to realize that we have a circle of influence, a group of people that we have an impact on every day, and we can help them spiritually to walk more closer to you. Lord, help us tonight to look at your servant Paul and what we can learn from him and how he lived there as we open the book of Romans. God, we thank you for your love and kindness. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. This morning, I asked the sermon, what sermon, what's, uh, asked the question, what sermon are you preaching? As we think about our lives, we looked at the, the, the man uh, who, who was healed, the paralytic, and we looked at all those different lessons that we can learn from him, from his friends, uh, negative lessons, things not to do from the critics, things to do from the crowd, things that, that we learn from Jesus so that we can be more and more like him, and not only that, have a great impact in this world. What we started with last week is we started in Romans chapter 1, and we asked the question, if you come up to the mic, what would you have to say? I started by talking about the CMT Country Music Awards and and that they were having a difficult night. One of the musicians had lost his drummer. He was killed in a car wreck. And and we saw uh, and talked about that Thomas Rhett came up and he led everyone in prayer, and he used his mic, the opportunity he had to speak for good. He had just won an award. He could have gone on and on about the accolades and how he deserved this award. He could have gone on and on about all the people who helped him. Many times that's what an award show does, right? They thank not only themselves, but thank the people in their band. They thank all these different people. But he took the opportunity to lead people in prayer and turn their thoughts to God for comfort. The thing is, we may not have an audience of a few hundred, few thousand, or or several million, whatever it is, but whatever audience we have, we have a responsibility from God to share the gospel with them so that they see, not just by what we say, by what we do, that we see God's impact on us, therefore we can impact them. In the first century, nobody besides Jesus was more prominent than the Apostle Paul. He taught the gospel. He was a prolific writer. He was a mentor. He was an apostle. He was a preacher, a missionary. He suffered. He was well-educated. He is someone who, who went and established churches and put leadership in in those churches, and he took every opportunity to share the gospel. And he lived and died as a Christian. And when we think about him, sometimes we may think, wow, he, he must have been a very, uh, very powerful preacher. I don't know, it's interesting when he 
spoke to the church at Corinth, what they said about him is, uh, your appearance is not much and your speaking is contestable. What did they just say to him? They just said, you're ugly and you can't preach. They got a little personal. I mean, that, that's what they said. You're, 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 your look is underwhelming and your speech is con, contest, contemptible. And, and so what was it about him that made a difference? It was his life. He did speak beautiful lessons, and we think about a sermon on Mars Hill. He made a difference through his writing and through his visiting, but really it's through his life because there's something for me when I open up the book of Philippians, and he tells us to be joyful throughout that book that you realize, okay, great, be joyful. Where did he write that from? Prison. Didn't that change it a little bit? He, he wasn't sitting in, in some really nice writing studio where he had people bringing him food and he had beautiful uh, natural light and all these incredible things for him to function. He's in prison. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. We've started reading through Romans chapter 1 and, and realized that Paul's life was about going throughout the world in the Great Commission and doing what? Teaching all nations baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, and Lord, I'm with you always into the end of the age. He realized the world was a very sick place, and what the world needed more than anything was Jesus. And so his life was spent in that. He came and he preached one message, Jesus Christ and him crucified, and wanted people to see that, and he had a great impact. When we read through Romans 1, we, we see that, that in this he says that he was a servant. That's how he led out. Servant was more important than being an apostle. Secondly, he was thankful. I know that's not instrumental music. We're good, guys. Y'all, you know, you can breathe for a second, okay? It, we can be thankful. We'll be thankful. He is someone who, who, again, spends all this time in prison, all these different things, but he's thankful. He also, when it comes to people, I ask the question, do we see people as precious or is a problem. He saw people as precious and created in the eyes of God. He was also someone who was prayerful. He told the, the church there that he was praying for them, and, and also he was a person of love and talked about his love and longing to be with them. Let's start. That's what we got through last week. You're going, wow, you did that in two minutes. Last week it took you 30. Well, I had to explain a lot more, okay? Let's jump in right here. In verse 14, Paul says, I am debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So, so as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. Why? Because it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He said, I'm a debtor. See, all these things help us to see how Paul made a difference because it's how he saw himself. He saw himself as a servant. He, he saw himself as being thankful. He saw himself as a debtor. I don't know about you, but I hear the word debt. It is a word that scares me a little. I don't like that thought. I don't like the thought of being in debt. I, I was very familiar with the financial aid office at Freed Hardeman because I was in debt to them for a long time. They sold it out to a bank, but that's, I remember that feeling. 
That feeling of going in each time, and and, and uh, if you wonder who was over the financial aid office out there, it's Miss Doris Manus and Mr. Larry Sear. I know them well. I visited with them often, and I would go in and talk to them, and we would work out to see if whatever financial uh, aid was available, but a lot of that came in the form of loans. Being in debt is not fun, and, and, and the thought about even borrowing money for a car. I remember the first time that I was going to have to do this. I've been able to, I'd, I had a car from my parents, and I had, uh, was able to buy the next car, and then I was on a trip, and I just put several thousand dollars in a car, and it broke down on a trip, and I had to preach the next morning. And so I went and I bought a vehicle to get back home. And as I'm getting ready to sign those papers and about that car loan that was about to come out every month, I broke out in a sweat. I thought I was going to pass out. It was so bad that night I had a dream that the elders fired me. I'm being true. I did. I, I, I sit there and remember being so nervous about that. And now that's nothing because I've signed a home loan. I mean, it is something you start thinking about. All these add up. The thought about being in debt is something that we think money-wise. And he said, I'm in debt, but it wasn't a financial debt. He said, I'm in debt to, to a group of people. And, and it's interesting what he says. It's odd. He goes, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and unwise. Scholars have spent a great deal of time in ink trying to say who this was. And, you know, basically to Greeks and non-Greeks, to, to educated and non-educated, to foolish and to wise. What's he saying? I owe everybody. I owe everybody. What I owe them? Own the gospel. I owe everybody the gospel. I owe everybody I meet to, so, that, so that I will tell them about Jesus. I will tell them about the one who has saved me, about the one who has made a difference in my life. I, I, I need to be able to share that. You think about Paul and the story he would have to say, at one time I was the greatest persecutor of Christians. That was my life. But what? Jesus in his mercy saved me. He set me apart to, to work for him. I owe everyone the gospel. He says, I'm under obligation. It is something that I must do. I, I have a, a something that I am obliged to do. And that obligation comes from his obligation to God. Do you feel like you owe somebody else the gospel? The people you have around you who are lost, do, do you feel like you owe them the gospel? I, I think Paul would say, yes, we do. We do, we owe them the life-saving, soul-saving message that, that Jesus has taught. And one of the reasons you go, wow, no wonder Paul was okay with going to prison if it meant people heard the gospel. He was okay getting on boat after boat after boat, even though he had many boat wrecks, at, three, at least three we know of. Why would he allow somebody to hit him 39 times and go through and beat him? Why? Because he believed with all this heart, with all who he was, that he owed people the gospel. That he was obligated. It was something every day that he owed them. How many invitations have you heard? A bunch probably, right? 
Depends on how old you are and how often you, you've attended worship, how many invitations that, that you have heard. How many times have you heard the gospel presented? Probably a lot. I remember a speaker at Free Hardman Lectureship several years ago. I was a student. That's how long ago. And he said, I believe that nobody deserves to hear the, hear the gospel twice before everybody's heard it once. That's a pretty big statement. I remember that hit me, but it stayed with me. He said, it's amazing that, that we hear it so much, we feel like it's going to come again and again and again and again and again. That's why some people choose not to, to become a Christian because they don't have an urgency in it. They believe they'll have another time, another opportunity. They'll hear the message, have this opportunity. He, he said, some people only get one time. And we want to be that person. I'm obligated to do that. I, 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 I think about, he talks about that he is going to, to visit Rome. He says he longs and he wants to be there to teach them. Why did he want to go to Rome to teach? Because he's going to get to teach the people at the highest level, the rulers of the world, if you will. Look at this in, in Acts 23, verse 11. Paul says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Why was he going to Rome? Because God sent him to Rome. He had a message he was to take there. He, he said, this is what I have called you to do. I, I set you apart to testify in Jerusalem. I've now set you apart to testify in Rome. You must go. Again, remember, Paul has been imprisoned over and over and over again. There's a verse that really stood out to me. It was Acts 26, verse 30. It said, Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and all those who were sitting with him, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, he's talking about Paul, This man has done nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. He didn't have to be in prison. Why, why did he appeal to Caesar? So he would go to Rome. So he could do what God has said because he believed he was obligated to teach the gospel to him. Again, if we have an opportunity to get out of prison, wouldn't you want that above everything else? Hey, I, I just want to go home to where I'm from. I want to go spend time in the, in the place where I live, where I may have family, where I may have friends. Or, or maybe in all the traveling he's done from church to church, you know, he's like, I, I lived in Ephesus three years. I kind of like the people there. I'd like to go back there. Those are people who were really good to me. I, maybe I want to spend time with, with Timothy and his family, Titus and his family. no. Had he not appealed to Caesar to go here, and, and by the way, this is going to mean death as he continues on in prison and stuff. He said he could have been set free. Why would he do that? Because he believed he owed Caesar the gospel. Everybody. I know there are people who have a great heart to do foreign mission work. And I think about Paul here, knowing that death would follow, but he goes anyway because he's obligated. He owes. I've talked about my cousin and his wife that were in Tanzania for five years. They're back in the States now. And he's somebody that not only goes to Tanzania, he goes to India. He goes anywhere he can go preach. 
Why? Because he believes he's obligated to. If you talk to him, that's a passion. You will hear him talk about it over and over and over again. We have some uh, a guest here tonight from the Benton Church of Christ in Benton, Kentucky. We talked about the youth minister, Nathan Pirtle, that we want to pray for here this morning. There's a, there's a man in their congregation, his name is Ed Jones, and Ed Jones is a big part of a mission work that, it, that is in uh, Benin, West Africa. Can I tell you that if you talk to Ed, all roads lead to Benin. You can start talking about what you had for lunch today, and before it's over, you're in Benin. And he's either trying to get you to go raise money for somebody going and telling you about the good work that's going on there. Everything leads there. It is an obligation. I, I think about my in-laws, Gary and Anita Lutz, Brianna's mom and dad, who, who spent over 20 years in Chile. Why? Because he wanted to teach people the gospel. I've talked to him, and, and like, did y'all have gospel meetings there? Yeah, we'd have to rent a tent, and they, they'd last for about a month to six weeks. Like a circus-type tent, big tent? Yes. Well, when you travel to these other countries, because they go to Argentina and different places to do these from Chile, where did you stay? Did you stay in a hotel there? No, somebody always had to sleep in the tent because somebody would steal it. I didn't know there was a bunch of tent thieves running around, but evidently there are. Because you feel like you owe. We owe everybody the gospel. That may mean that you go to Chile or Argentina. That may mean that, that you go to Greece. That may mean that you go to India. But it may mean that you go across the road where you live. It may be that mean that you go next door. It may mean that you talk to, per, to the person sitting in the cubicle next to you or the desk next to you, just realizing every day that we have something. We were so blessed. We are Christians because somebody shared God's message with us, and we owe that to someone else. We owe them the gospel. See, Paul says in Romans 13, verse 8, he says, Owe no man anything but to love one another. What's the greatest love? We're about greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friends. Can I tell you, one of the greatest loves you can have for somebody else is to share Jesus with them. That's what he says. I, I, I am somebody who is, I am a debtor. And he also says he's ready. Ready here really means eager. I'm eager to share. Look, look what he says here. He said, I'm a debtor both to Jews and Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as in me I am ready or I am eager to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. He's eager. He's excited about this opportunity to teach the gospel. He said, I'm obligated and I'm eager. Don't let that word preach mess you up. It's the word proclaim. It's the word tell. Don't think about... Uh, uh, up front, in front, at a podium or a pulpit speaking, think about being able to tell somebody else, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Are you eager when you wake up in the morning, or do you want five more minutes or ten more minutes? How long is your snooze alarm for? Nine minutes? Is it ten minutes? What's the record amount of times you've ever hit it? And some of y'all are laughing. You, you realize that it is amazing. 
See, it's funny, the first uh, phone, the first phone, now, that's because that's where I am now, alarm has a phone that has snooze on it too, and it's amazing. Uh, but the first alarm clock with a snooze alarm was this one. The snooze alarm. It was called the world's most humane alarm clock. Just letting you sleep nine more minutes was humane. There's days that you may not be too eager to face the day. There's days that you, you, want, you want a little bit more sleep, a little bit more rest. Can I tell you, when I was a kid and I knew I was going to get to go hunting or fishing, I was up before the alarm. Not many children have to be woken up on Christmas morning. If you're not careful, they can mess a lot of stuff up. They want to wake up so early. They're, they're eager. They want to see. They, they want to go. They want to see what it is they've got. Can, can I tell you that we should have that eagerness to be able to share God's message with somebody else and to be able to talk to them about Jesus. And it may be a small conversation that leads to a study, but being able to share that message about how good God has been to you in saving you and the ability to share that with someone else. Not only does Paul say that he is eager to teach the gospel, he is somebody who feels like he owes and he's eager. He said, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed, and for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. And to what? Salvation. Everyone believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says he's not ashamed. I want you to look at something. I want you to look at the world that he was living in then. Because as I read what's going on at the end of chapter 1 of Romans, what you're going to feel like is you're watching the news today. You're going to feel like you're reading about things that are going on today. He said, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness and evil and covetousness and malice, and they were full of envy, murder, and strife and deceit and, their, and maliciousness, and they are gossips. Does anybody feel like they just watch the news? He's not finished. They are slanderers. They are haters of God. They are insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That they, though they know God's righteous decree, they that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. He's not finished. He said, "Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, that every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things." So we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man? You who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. He gets very personal. He's talking to a group of people, he says, who are hypocritical. They condemn people and then do the same things they're condemning people for. He said, but I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel because he knows the gospel is the only thing that can change this about people. Jesus has the power to change us, and He is the only one who can do that. No matter how mad the world is, and we look at so many bad things happening, the only thing that has the power to change people is Jesus. He said, and I'm not afraid. I'm not ashamed. 
Because it is the power. What, what would change? You know, he, he is about to go sit down and wants to sit down with Caesar. Somebody that could have him killed in a heartbeat, as could everybody else he's met with so far also. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know what? Because it is powerful because I can share it with them. How many times do we not share the gospel with someone else because do we not have confidence in it? We don't feel like they're too far gone. There's too much going on in their life. They won't change. As Paul said, the gospel can change everybody. If it changed me, it can change them. He's not ashamed. Because it is the power of God that leads to salvation. So many times we're afraid that we don't have the ability, we don't have the talent to do this. And he's saying, get the message in front of them. Let God work on somebody and see what difference he can make because the gospel has that power. The power is in him. Paul said this. Here's how he thinks about the gospel. He said, for if I preach not preach the gospel... It gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He said, I must do it. It is something I have to do. He's not finished there. Let's think about this. What if people saw us and we described ourselves and we started thinking, you know what? When it comes to my relationship with God and my relationship with other people, what if? I saw myself as a servant first, a servant of the Most High God. What if also I started every day being thankful? Thankful, first of all, for salvation, for what God has done for me, and, and thankful about all the great blessings He's had. What would that change about me? What if I spent days in prayer? And I prayed that God would use me and prayed for other people to come to him, what if love was my great motivating factor? That I love people so much, I wanted them to hear the gospel, I wanted them to know Jesus, I wanted them to become Christian. What if I got up every day and saw myself as a debtor, but it's not trying to pay off a bill collector? And it's interesting, he, he didn't say, I'm a debtor to God. I'm a debtor to people. Because we can't pay God back for what he's done for us. We cannot earn our salvation. We, we are to pay it forward, if you will. God has saved us. We want to share that message. What if we were eager and what if we entered this life unashamed of the gospel and allow God to work? It'd make a huge difference. We sit there and think about this verse in Romans 1.18, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel in 1.16, and talks about the power. Then he said, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness and men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He said, my life has to match the truth of God, but the power of God can change people's eternities. Everyone in here has an audience, and we have to determine what we're going to say to them. Because what we say to them and what we live out will determine whether they follow Christ or not many times. It will give them the evidence they need to see God and sometimes the evidence they say to push back. And the thing we must do is be people who live out the love of God in our lives. And we have this opportunity. 
You may have an audience of one. It may be the person, again, you sit by at work. maybe the person at, at school. It may be the person that you uh, meet when you go to uh, take your children to the library one day a week for reading days. Whatever the case may be, it may be the person who waits on your table tonight wherever you go eat. But we want them to see Jesus in us. And as we do that, God works. <laughs> And God works in powerful ways, as we talked about this morning. That he does more than we can ask or imagine, Ephesians 3 tells us. So let's trust people's salvation to him. Let's allow him to work on people, and he will work on people as we share his word and his life and his love with people. Tonight, can we help you? Tonight, if you're not a Christian, let's make that decision. Let's choose tonight to be baptized for remission of our sins. As we saw that done earlier this week with Miss Brenda, her deciding above all to be baptized. And we want to see that happen again. We'd love for that to happen tonight. Or maybe you want us to pray with you or for you that you'll have the courage to step up to that mic and to share God's message with others. If we can help you with these things, would you come now while we stand and while we sing? Oh, yeah, <laughs>